Welcome to Historian's Lounge. We're going to talk about some scandals in Disney's history this evening. So maybe some things, some stories you haven't heard of, of some things that Disney has kind of kept on the down low is things we're going to talk about this evening. So tonight we are going to talk about four stories of Disney scandals in Disney's history. Some of them are scandals, some of them are just a little bit more shocking, um, but maybe some things you've heard about and some things you haven't. So I thought we'd talk about that tonight. Here for the tea, I know. <laughs> it was like, some of these stories I don't talk about as much. Um, I do a lot of positive Disney content, and this isn't really like negative Disney content. It's just kind of interesting stories from Disney's past. So my first story of the night is with Nat Weinkoff. If you know about Nat Weinkoff, you know he's a little bit of a <laughs> of a of a controversial character. His his window on Main Street USA was one of two windows. I think there's actually three. One of three windows. That's there's one that I'm still trying to untangle a mystery about, but he's one of two windows that was removed from Main Street USA because of what he did to Walt. So Nat Weinkoff, um, he did a lot of the early work planning for Disneyland. He's he's credited with kind of locating the Disneyland on properties so that it could be annexed into Anaheim. So that was kind of his claim to fame. Um, he did pull a deal together with the Anaheim city manager, whose name was uh, Keith Murdoch and the chamber member Earl Moore, Moeller, excuse me, to place the Disney park in Anaheim. So that is kind of like, he really did something significant for Disney. But however, he did, um, he left Disney in 1957 and he formed a consulting firm to design Disneyland style parks across the United States. Now you can imagine how this is not something that Walt Disney would like. <laughs> Someone duplicating his park after he worked with him and trained him and gave them all, his, all of the inside ideas. So um, he actually created a, a sketch of a park. A whole, actually it was bigger than that. It was a 250 sketches total design for a park called Bible Storyland um, that was going to be located east of LA. Yeah, it's not okay. It's not okay. <laughs> um, I do have a picture of that. And it's funny enough, there's actually a documentary made about this, which I actually haven't been able to watch, but you can go and find the trailer for it. Um, it is called Bible Storyland, the movie. And it's like a documentary made about the guy who um, found the um, someone who had all the sketches said, like, wanted to sell him all of them for a million dollars. And he's like, no, I can't do that. And that guy, unfortunately, passed away in a fire. Um, but the, the sketches were saved. And so this guy found them after that guy passed away. And he, like, became obsessed with this theme park and, like, the idea of this theme park. So he made a documentary out of it. It sounded like his wife didn't love it. So, <laughs> so there was, um, this is Bible Storyland. And if it looks familiar, well, that's because it was pretty much like Disneyland. <laughs> it looks so much like the early sketches of Disneyland and even has the four lands. Um, it's a, it's a, he pretty much just took Disneyland's formula and it was going to apply it somewhere else. Okay. Yeah. The hubs in the middle, um, I think it's the Tower of Babel in the middle. So there's Israel, the Garden of Eden, Rome, and Egypt. They have Babylon. They have um, the meeting grounds are over here in the corner. But yeah, it's it's just like it's pretty much Disneyland. <laughs> and he actually went to Disney Studios and he recruited people from Disney Studios to um, draw the sketches for it. So if you're familiar with Bruce Bushman, who we've talked about before, who did a lot of the early sketches of Fantasyland, he actually pulled him away from Disney and had him work on this project, which is why this looks so familiar. So, so this is one of the things where Nat Weinkoff um, was just kind of a shady character in that way, because he's like, I'm just, yeah, doesn't look familiar at all, right, Cassie? I know. So Nat Weinkoff, he left, he's tried to make Bible Storyland, and actually he was creating it alongside yo-yo magnet Donald Duncan. So you think Duncan yo-yos, which I think is so funny now that that's on like Pop Century 
in Pop Century's property because it's like it's actually kind of a negative part of Disney's story. And I think people just don't know that. Um, but Yo-Yo Magnet, Donald Duncan, and then uh, Jack Haley, who was the Tin Man in The Wizard of Oz, they were kind of like the backers for this Bible Storyland project alongside Nat Weinkoff. So, um, okay, so he hired away Disney talent. It wasn't just Bruce Bushman. It was a couple of them that he kind of like sucked away. Um, so those are, and then he went on to create some concepts for amusement parks that never got built. There's one that was called Bozo World. <laughs> There was one that was called Irish Village. There was Old Indiana, which was later designed and built by others. And then there's a few unnamed projects in Brownsville, Texas and uh, Ox Hill, Maryland. So Nat, Nat Weinkoff not only stole away Walt's idea, which makes him one of our scandalous characters this evening, he also did some things that were just not great business practices. I mean, they were accepted in the 1950s, but maybe not things we'd want to do, um, like the reputation of hiring young, attractive women to close deals. That was his thing. <laughs> um, so he would he would hire them. They said uh, Nat knew where all the girls were, was what somebody said about him. He he just really liked hiring those attractive women to get those deals closed. So. Yeah, not a not a great thing. And this is a mocktail root beer float that I'm drinking this evening in our Disney um, Distorians Lounge. So this is root beer with a little bit of um, vanilla and um, half and half. Or you could use vanilla coffee creamer if you have it on hand. And just a little bit of whipped cream on top. And I was going to put a cherry, but I think my kids ate mine. So I don't have them anymore. <laughs> I've actually uncovered so many things about the ways that women were like used in the past and you know this is not exclusive to disney this is just the way the world was 30s 40s 50s unfortunately there's a lot of um a lot of not great things for women back then <laughs> so nat weinkoff committed the then like the cardinal like the unforgivable sin of competing with walt disney using his own intellectual property now if we know about walt disney with all of his um backstory about Oswald the Lucky Rabbit and everything, you know, Disney protects their IP like crazy. So the fact that someone took their designers, just like during the Oswald scandal, they they hired away his designers under him. This was this was like, this, you don't do this to Walt Disney. So he nevertheless, he lost his window on Main Street USA. And that is why we don't hear about Nat Weinkoff anymore in Disney history. It's like, we just don't talk about him. Like he never existed. But he did exist, and he actually was a significant person in the development of Disneyland. But because he double-crossed Walt, that's why we don't hear him anymore. We don't hear about him. So, yeah, he doesn't. Like he doesn't exist. Who is he? He's Bruno. <laughs> we don't talk about Nat Weinkoff. <laughs> oh gosh. Um, okay, so the documentary about Bible Storyland is Bible Storyland the movie. And it came out in 2012 and I haven't been able to see, like find a whole bunch of like where to watch it. It said it was on Amazon Prime and Apple and I looked and it said not available. So if anybody sees it, there is a a preview for it, like a trailer for it on YouTube that I have found so you can watch that, but I have not been able to find the whole movie. And if I do, we should do a watch party and watch it because it's a, it's a story. There's a lot of tea in there. <laughs> It's, you know, everybody who knows a lot about Disney history, a lot of them like have maybe heard him mentioned, but don't really know about Nat Weinkoff and all of his things. So, yeah. So that's Nat Weinkoff. So that's a first um, of our four Disney scandalous tales this evening. Um, we'll also be have a few more. Some of them are more shocking than scandalous. Some are just funny. So I just I'm like, let's just pull together some things that we don't talk about very often. Um, so the second thing I'd love to share in our Distorians Lounge this evening is about the Penthouse Club. And I feel like we have mentioned this on Distory before. <laughs> um, but it's a, if you, if the Penthouse Club was men, the men's club for Disney Studios, um, back in kind of its heyday in the, in the, after the, the studios was built in the 1940s. It was the place where men only were allowed to hang out. In fact, that's what it said in the 1943 employee manual. It said, men only, sorry, gals. <laughs> the women who are employed, they got a tea room. 
it's not really much, but <laughs> but but comparatively, I think they have three restaurants in the in the penthouse club. They had a full gym. They had um, it had a mural when you walk in, which I actually cannot show here because it is not appropriate. <laughs> and if you Google it, be prepared. It is not for. It's it it it's a little scandalous. Um, let's just say it's a very revealing women was the mural that was when you walked into the penthouse club so there so if they had the mural which i wish i could show you but i don't want to show you like i'd have to like block out half of it and then you wouldn't really see most of it so we just won't we'll just use our imaginations but maybe not i don't know <laughs> um so they had the mural they had um they said they explained that the penthouse club, um, as animator Floyd Norman explained, it was um, a perk of Walt's boy that Walt's boys could earn after rising through the ranks over a series of years. A club not open to any everybody, and that seemed to be the attraction. So, the whole point of the penthouse club was like it was kind of like the the top echelon of animators. To get there, you had to pay quite a few. They had a lot of rules. You had to pay. The, the fee was not a small one. So animators are just starting out. I think the fee, I want to say it was like $7 a week, which was like the monthly wage. I have to look it up. I don't want to tell you the wrong number, but it was so expensive that the younger animators just simply couldn't afford it. Walt Disney said like it wasn't necessarily a close thing. We'd be glad to allow any fellow into the penthouse club who is decent and respectable to belong to it. However, at the start, we had to allow those men who carry the main responsibilities of the studio the first chance to join. After giving those men their chance, we then threw it open to the whole group. Now, this this is scandalous, not only because it's got this mural that's a little bit racy. It's also got um, this um, classist kind of feel to it. And it was one of the reasons why that led to the animator strike, among a lot of other things. Yeah, not close. Sorry, gals. Right? Oh, I have a picture of that, too, because you guys got to see the employee manual. It's, uh, ooh, it's something. So I think the sorry gals is actually on this side here. So you can see not only was there a gym, but there was also sunbathing. You can see this uh, lovely uh, drawing of this waitress here. <laughs> This is the manual from Disney from 1943. The sunbathing is another part of the scandalous story for the penthouse club. And some of you might have heard some of this already. Um, but I love this. So Milt Call's assistant said, we used to take nude sun baths on the roof of the studio on our lunch hours and chew the fat. So this is something they did. <laughs> I know, I know. These drawings, I'm like, they would not fly these days. Um, so they're up on this, they're, they decided that an all-over tan was all the rage then, okay? So they, they were not wearing much back then. And uh, St. Joseph Hospital was across the street. So they build like this um, new wing, um, like this four-story wing, so it got higher. Um, and the St. Joseph's Hospital, of course, was like mainly run by nuns. Um, and some of the nuns at St. Joseph's were peering across the street, watching the guys sunbathe. <laughs> um, so when the word got around at the hospital about what the nuns were doing, Mother Superior or someone called over to the studio and complained about the, the sunbathing. And so they stopped, stopped doing it. <laughs> Um, so, but they didn't actually stop doing it, which is also part of the scandal. They didn't, <laughs> feeling a trip to Bible story life for them. <laughs> They're going to need to spend a little extra time in that other amusement park after that. <laughs> we work with retired nuns. Okay, Kathy. Um, so they didn't actually stop sunbathing and getting an all over tan. They said that they put up a notice as you were leaving the gym to go out onto the roof that said, don't forget that they just built a hospital across the street. So it was their reminder, remember about the nuns who can see you. <laughs> so 
um, as Raleigh Crump said it, um, they, what they did was they just had a towel that they would like put around themselves, like a little towel. And there's pictures of this too, which I also can't show because I just don't want to get banned. <laughs> so they put a little towel around their waist and they go and find their spot and lay down. And then it was like, then you were like out of view of the hospital once you were like laying down apparently like certain parts of the roof. So then they would, they would just let go of their towel while they were doing that. And then they put their towel back on as they walked down. Some of the pictures, though, they're only holding their towel a little bit. <laughs> and it's it's a little scandalous, too. So if you want to see those pictures, not that I think you should, but if you want to see them, you can re you can probably Google penthouse club sunbathing. It should probably pop up in a Google search. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm like, I'm trying to like find the words, still trying to keep this a family friendly show, but this is what happened. So the fun, I think the best part about this, and I haven't found any drawings for this yet. And I hope I do someday. My internet history. I know. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I was looking at this and I was like, I can't let my kids see this. This is bad. <laughs> um, so my favorite part that I have not yet found pictures of is that they made little like the animators drew sketches of things that happen in the office all the time. They would like shove them under people's doorways and stuff. It was like, they, they had a lot of pranks and stuff that went on in their office. But something they did was they drew pictures of nuns uh, with binoculars pressed to their eyes and expressions of shock and interest. <laughs> um, <laughs> and that's what they did. So, <laughs> oh gosh. So that's, I consider that maybe I just a little scandalous. It's also just a little shocking. <laughs> uh, the politest doesn't the other doc work? Well, you know, you know me. I try to keep it family friendly. So if littles are listening, it's not not too out there, but it's it's something. <laughs> I think it's a little bit scandalous. Um, I do appreciate that they did have some respect for the nuns, at least in like sort of keeping out of view from them but they didn't really I guess if they're drawing all these pictures of them so <laughs> I don't know okay Erica you found it did you find it mm -hmm. it's a little it's a little something so be careful if you search for it especially the mural the mural is it's only like one picture that I found out there and it's um which is funny because I think it's Fred Moore that did all of those girls. Um, that was his, and he was the one that did Mickey at that time. He was the one that did that era's Mickey. Um, but they also did, it, this was also, you know, right around the time of the war. So they used a lot of those same pictures for the soldiers <laughs> overseas. They made, they made things for the soldiers to have while they were overseas. And it matched that mural. <laughs> So, yeah, that's all I'm going to say about that, because I think we're, we're we're toeing the line here on this Friday night. Kirk would, at least Kirk's not here. I would be blushing like crazy. I cannot, I can at least say, like, I can read your guys' comments, but I'm not looking at anybody while I say these things. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, they're hand towels. They're tiny little towels. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, gosh. So that is story number two of some scandalous Disney things. Um... The next one is not is not quite as scandalous, but is just kind of a bit of a shocking story. And it's interesting because it's um, I think that this one is rooted partially in rumor. And I think we have to know that um, when we go into it, we have to know that some of these stories are um, the, the sunbathing one is not. And that, that is 100 percent confirmed. I always tell you guys, if I think it's a if it's partially a rumor, if it has not been confirmed, I will always let you know that because I feel like there's too many things that are passed off as truth that aren't exactly um, true for Disney stories. And I, I think it was Kevin Lively who said it, who was like Disney people are storytellers. And I 100 percent agree. We love a good story. Um, so there's a good story in this one and whether or not it's hundred percent true is thing. Someone texts Kirk. No, Kirk's with his family. Leave him alone. <laughs> he doesn't need to know this. It's what I do when he's not here. <laughs> All right, historians, let's talk about our third scandalous story this evening. Um, 
we're going to go to St. Louis. Um, we're going to talk about Walt Disney's Riverfront Square, which began developed in 1963, or would have. It the idea, the idea would be. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm reading your comments. <laughs> Yes, having family time with children. We don't want Kirk involved in this. No, mm -mm. this is just Storian's lounge time. He's, he, yeah. <laughs> um, yes, okay, let's talk about, so Walt Disney's Riverfront Square was an indoor amusement park that they were going to build in St. Louis. It would have been a five-story indoor amusement park. So this is a, a little concept art for Walt Disney's Riverfront Square the indoor amusement park that never was. And um, I love that there's also a Mickey balloon in there. Did you see that? A little Mickey balloon, which I love. <laughs> Erica, you are. You guys, well, I'll tell you what, that story, it's hard to just move on from that one. It's a, it's, there's a lot there. Or not a lot there. <laughs> okay, we're gonna stop now. Mm. Okay, Riverfront Square. You know, if they had had that, I know the Midwest could have had a lot of, a lot of people in the in the square. So yeah, um, the entrance to the the park would have been similar to Disneyland's. They would have had Main Street USA on one side of the street, um, was kind of based on Old St. Louis, and the other side would have been Old uh, New Orleans. So it's kind of like two different sides of the street, two different parts, which is really interesting. <laughs> I know I can't can't talk about that mural anymore. Um, would have had a couple of rides that we did kind of get in some other ways. One is the Lewis and Clark Adventure, which was a ride that was based on the travels of Lewis and Clark and their expedition to find the Northwest Passage, um, which is very near and dear to my heart as an Oregonian because they spent the winter here on the Oregon coast um, up near Astoria. So the Lewis and Clark Adventure kind of ended up becoming the Western River Expedition, which we did talk about on our last episode I think it was the last episode of Distory. No, the one before last. Two episodes ago in Distory. Um, but so they had the Lewis the Clark adventure. And then they would have had um, a ride based on the folk legend of Mike Fink. Like Mike Fink keelboats we had in Disneyland. So they would have had a ride based on that. Um, there would be a New Orleans Square based on the one that's currently in Disneyland. And complete with the Pirates of the Caribbean and a Blue Bayou restaurant. Sorry if this hurts anybody who's living in St. Louis and is like, oh my gosh, we could have had that. <laughs> yes, um, that's part of the story. They also would have had um, a ride based on Davy Crockett, who of course was the very first Disneyland TV show. Um, the TV show that ABC helped finance Disneyland to make, and then Disney made a one-hour TV show every week in exchange for money and an investment in Disneyland. Their very first one was an episode of Davy Crockett because they're trying to emphasize Frontierland. Davy Crockett was uh, Fess Parker, which was kind of like a, nobody really knew who he was, but Walt, they, Walt Disney went on set to see this, like scout out this actor for this. And it was actually some other actor. I can't even remember his name. And then they they said, oh no, that guy's perfect. Walt did. And he's like, that guy's perfect. And they're like, no, we're talking about this guy over here. He's like, no, that guy. And he's pointing to Fess Parker. And Fess, they signed him on. And then he became like this huge phenomenon and like single-handedly brought back like the fur trade for coonskin hat, hats in the United States, which maybe is not the best thing, but um, that did happen. It was a huge giant phenomenon. So um, having Davy Crockett in the parks was um, was a good idea because just everybody knew that story by that point. Um, they also would have had an attraction based on the Merrimack Caverns of Missouri, which I don't think I've, I've traveled through Missouri, but I don't think I've ever been there. So if you're from Missouri, there could have been an attraction based on those caverns, which I don't know if that's a popular thing. I don't know as much as I should about Missouri. I know a lot about Disney. <laughs> Okay, so then there also would have been two Circarama theaters, which were kind of like those, the ones we have now in Epcot, you know, where you see like 360 around you. And they're named Circarama because it was, you think it's a circle, it's a circle and then car and then Rama. Cause it was based on, it was like, the first one was like in, first it was like they mounted the cameras on top of an automobile to get some of the original shots. But they also like, I think the first one was in America, the beautiful one. 
but the, they emphasize the word car in it. That's why it's named that. Um, <clears throat> one of which would have shown a film about St. Louis. So they would have had two of those kind of circle theaters. Then they would have had an aviary type of exhibit. So kind of pre animal kingdom by like many, many years, um, a pirate ship you could explore like the one that used to be in Disneyland, an opera house, um, and then dark rides based on Peter Pan, Snow White and Pinocchio, which are all in Disneyland now, um, and a wishing well. So quite a lot for a five story indoor amusement park in St. Louis, quite an amazing achievement. So what happened to it? Well, here's where the rumor versus fact kind of gets a little bit muddled. <clears throat> so in 1965, they were kind of set to go on this project. They had drawn up all the documents and everybody was um, ready to go. Walt Disney visited St. Louis and they had a cocktail party. And uh, Aunt, uh, August Bush Jr. actually insulted Walt Disney, maybe accidentally, maybe on purpose, maybe he had too much to drink, I don't know. Um, but what he did was he yelled that anybody who thought he could run a park in St. Louis without booze should have his head examined. Which, if you know Walt Disney, he did like his Scotch Miss. That was his drink of choice, which, you know, we're in the Distorians Lounge. Let's talk that Walt Disney didn't, in fact, drink alcohol. But he um, didn't like it in his parks, partially because he likes that family-friendly atmosphere. Didn't want a whole bunch of people who were inebriated walking around doing what people do in Epcot. He believed in not having alcohol in his parks. And uh, to say that directly to Walt, basically he was crazy for thinking that they could have a park that was dry in St. Louis. Um, that was maybe not a great thing. <laughs> Since what happened the next day was when Walt was supposed to sign the papers, he got an airplane and flew back to Anaheim and did not sign them. Now, a lot of people would say, um, that they actually did come to a compromise allowing alcohol and maybe like an observation deck lounge, kind of like Club 33 in Disneyland, right? They were going to have like a, a special area for it that was cut off from the rest of the park. So a lot of people have said that's like, it's not actually true that that's the reason Walt Disney didn't sign it. The actual reason was that Disney was willing to pay for the rides and attractions, but wanted St. Louis Redevelopment Corporation to pay for the building. And they just declined to do so. They wouldn't, they wouldn't do it. And so it was kind of more of a financial reason why they didn't build it. But um, I mean, do we know? Do we know the truth on that? I don't know. This is where the rumor comes in, because the story is someone said this really rude thing to him and then he just decided not to sign the papers. And that is a really great story. And I love that story. Could also have been financial. Could have been a combination of both. Could have been like, we can't, can't, yeah, can't come to an agreement and Walt probably was just like soured on the deal um, based on this disagreement they have, even if they came to an agreement on it. Um, anybody saying that to me probably would make me like, I don't know if I want to do business with this person. I don't know if I'd throw away an entire project because of it, but you know, it's a, it is what it is. So, so that's a little bit of a scandalous story that happened with Disney, Walt Disney's Riverfront Square um, in 1963 to 1965, which never happened. <laughs> we did get a lot of those things like the, um, well, kind of, the Lewis and Clark adventure. We, I'd say we got for the Western River Expedition, we, we never actually got that ride. So some of it just got lost forever, which is very sad. I saved um, one of my, <laughs> the most interesting stories for the last one. Because I think that this is so interesting because when Disneyland was being built, there's so many stories about when Disneyland is being built. And a lot of it is really well documented and a lot of it is not. So like they didn't have a lot of plans drawn up because they built it so fast. They built Disneyland in a year, but they did document the building of Disneyland on camera. So we have a lot of like visual footage of what happened, but not as much written footage, written documentation of what went down. <laughs> um, but we do have some things because there were contracts and things. So this story has to do with some contracts, um, specifically with C.V. Wood. Now, if you've ever heard of C.V. Wood, you know he goes by Woody, and he worked alongside Buzz Price, so Buzz and Woody. <laughs> and if you think that's where they got the names for Pixar, that's 
apparently not the case. It's just kind of a coincidence, um, which would make sense because C.B. Wood, you don't hear a lot about him in Disney history, and there's a reason for that. And so I can't believe they would... Um, I can't believe that they would actually make a movie that, like, kind of highlights C.B. Wood, like, as Woody. Like, I don't think they would do that just because of Disney's history. Um, but... Yeah, so C.B. Wood was also Cornelius Vanderbilt Wood was his name, um, but he went by Woody. Um, he was Disneyland's vice president during construction, so not a small role in Disneyland. Um, his responsibilities included assisting uh, Buzz Price in site selection. He helped acquire property rights. He um, hired key personnel and supervised, he supervised construction. So he had a lot of responsibilities in building Disneyland. He was a busy guy. He also brought on board Joe Fowler, um, who was originally brought on to consult on the building of the Mark Twain. And then, um, and Van Arsdell France, who was the cast member program trainer, which um, I, I was just reading a lot about him and really interesting because he wrote a lot of the training protocol for Rosie the Riveter. Rosie the Riv Riveter? Riveter. Rosie. <laughs> I'm saying that right. Rosie the Riveter. So um, he he had those kind of like dual, like he had experience doing Disneyland. But he also had a lot of war history. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Kristen, for that chill. We're going to chill together. Thank you. Um, okay, so Van Arsdale France said that C.B. Wood was the ideal Disney representative when it came to scooping up land in Anaheim. He was young and charismatic, and he could charm farmers out of their orange groves with his Texas drawl. I don't know, and I don't even want to know, about some of the ways borders were changed and people pers were persuaded to sell their lands to Disney. The historical fact is that in a short time, Walt had about 340 acres of land on which to build his stream. That's Ben Arsdell France talking about C.B. Wood. So... C.B. Wood was a, uh, he was a little bit of a shady dude, <laughs> to put it nicely. Um, I mean, we already talked about Nat Weinkoff, kind of like he wasn't necessarily as shady while he was at Disney, but C.B. Wood was shady at Disney. <laughs> so um, Wood was in charge of getting sponsors for the park. So if you remember a lot of a lot of the early Disneyland was sponsored, right? We had sponsors all the way down Main Street, USA. We had sponsors into Frontierland. That's how like Pendleton Woolen Mills came into be. We had sponsors out in Tomorrowland was pretty much all just sponsors. <laughs> Even like TWI, TWA Moonliner was sponsored. Um, the Kaiser um, Hall uh, Aluminum Hall of Fame was there. The Bathrooms of Tomorrow, the Monsanto Hall of Chemistry. Um, pretty much everything was sponsored. We had Richfield Oil. Um, they sponsored Utopia, Autopia, excuse me. Um, pretty much everything was sponsored. So Wood was in charge of getting these sponsors. And he he did. He got a lot of them. And it was not an easy job to do because a lot of people didn't know what was this amusement park. And um, I remember the Santa Fe um, Railroad, they did not want to do it because they said, I, we have to pay $50,000 just to have our name on the side of these trains in a kiddie park. Like, that's what they believed about it. They eventually did cave, and that's why we have um, the Ernest S. Marsh and the E.P. Ripley. Those were all names of people that were in um, the upper management of the Santa Fe, Topeka, Topeka and Santa Fe Railroad. In any case, C.V. Wood could do his job. The means by which he did his job is the scandalous part. So, yeah, Wood, I think he was from Texas. Yeah. <laughs> so Wood felt like he wasn't getting paid enough. So he went to Walt Disney and he said, what I'm making is an insult. Walt turned him down for a raise. He's like, no, I'm not giving you a raise. And he pretty much just didn't want to talk about it. And he acted like he was annoyed that C.B. Wood asked. This is a point. At this point, I think. Walt Disney was under a tremendous amount of pressure to get this park done in less than a year. He had like zero money doing it. <laughs> and he was 
stressed about, you know, like he didn't really pay attention to money, but he also had Roy come in, like over here saying like, we don't have any more money for this. We have no more money. So Walt was like, don't ask me for more money right now. I don't even have money to do this. He like took out his, he like cashed out his life insurance to build part of the park. He had zero money left, zero. So C.B. Wood asking this question at this time seemed unreasonable to Walt Disney. Whether, whether or not it was unreasonable overall, I don't know the exact amount he was paid, so I don't know for sure. Um, and I'm guessing he's thinking, well, I'm bringing in all these contracts. I deserve to be paid more, right? So um, Wood was angry at Walt, and he decided he was going to augment his salary um, on his own with a system of kickbacks in a very shady way. <laughs> So what happened was um, he had a partner, an associate, if you will, named Bob Burns. And here's like an example of what happened with Dickinson's Jams and Jellies on Main Street. Um, they got them all settled on Main Street. See if he woods over there like you, you're good, you're settled. That's great. Well, then Burns, Bob Burns would show up and then he demanded extra payment to make sure that everything ran smoothly. Just give me a little, give us a little bit more. We'll make sure everything's good for you. So then Burns would go back and then split the take of that extra money with C.V. Wood. <laughs> Jackie, me too. I feel like doing this the whole life because it is like that. So he the, so he did it really in a shady way where it was like it was not directly cv wood that was doing it it was kind of bob burns doing it but it but it happened yeah mafia i know it's got it's got that undertone to it um so walt and roy they hired a lawyer named luther marr and marr called wood a, a very impetuous dishonest kind of person devious i'd say so anyway, he didn't like it that I was hired. I could see that from the beginning because that meant that the establishment was going to get in his tent and look around and see what was going on. So C.D. Wood did not like this lawyer getting hired by Walton Roy. I know, it was a little bit of like, <laughs> it was a little, a little uh, godfather moment here on Disney property, right? So one day, Wood gave Marr a 40-page contract and said, look that over and give me your approval. And Marr said, like, well, okay, I'm going to take it home and read it because it's 40 pages, right? And Wood said, no, you need to answer me now. I need an answer now. Just look it over real quick and give me your approval. And Marr said, well, there's no way. It take hours and hours to read. Um, then Wood went directly after that to Walt and Roy and asked that Marr be fired but they both sided with the lawyer, with Mar. So he did not fire him. <laughs> so I'm like, if you got nothing to hide, why aren't you letting this guy read this 40 page document? Just saying. So at some point um, in 1955, after like 22 months of employment with Disney, C.D. Wood leaves for what they say D23 describes as a career in the leisure industry. <laughs> um, he was a very independent, so let's see, who said this? Um, I don't know, I, did, I didn't mark down who wrote, who said this, but they said Woody was a very independent person and my God, so was Walt Disney. So it was only natural that the relationship wouldn't last. So Woody left. So a lot of people that speculated, they just butt heads, like Woody and Rory just did not see eye to eye. They both had very strong personalities and uh, Wood decided like it, things should be done this way. And Walt Disney, of course, had his opinions and Walt Disney would always win because it's Disneyland. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so he left and then he started making theme parks around the country in the late 1950s and early 60s. Um, he did Magic Mountain in Colorado, Pleasure Island in Massachusetts, uh, the first Six Flags Park in Texas, and uh, Freedom Land in the Bronx in New York City. Hi, Kat. Um, 
<laughs> like this kind of distry. Yeah, it's this is like distry after dark. <laughs> I know it's always dark when we do it, but we always have these kind of cute stories. But this one is something. So I have a poster for Freedomland. This Freedomland did not work out. Let me show you a post, a picture of it. It was supposed to be the world's largest entertainment center on the East Coast. Kind of like a Disneyland of the East. Freedomland. This one has lots of tea. Tonight has lots of tea, indeed. So for Freedomland, it only lasted, I think, four years, 1960 to 1964. And um, Van Arsdale France actually left to work with him because C.V. Wood and him were like buddies during the war. So that's how he found Van Arsdale France was because he knew him um, from working together during the war. So that he was kind of like loyal to his friend in that way. So he went to work with him. But when Freedomland went under, he was like, we're not going to. We're not going to do that. <laughs> I need to add tea to Disney once a month. There's so much tea out there. I'm sure I could. <laughs> we should definitely do more Distorian's Lounge tea. Absolutely. The tiny towel references to him later. <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay. So um, he's making this Freedom Land and it fails. And then Wood touted himself as the master planner of Disneyland. That's what he told everybody. He told everybody he was the master planner of Disneyland. While he did a lot of things to organize Disneyland, I think that we can all agree that Walt Disney was the master planner of Disneyland. Because he called himself the master planner of Disneyland, which did not sit well with the Disney hierarchy, obviously, as to the fact that Freedom Land became known as the East Coast Disneyland, um, he was just not, he was not well-liked by Disney people. And I think my favorite quote from all of the Disney people was that uh, from Bob Gurr, who of course made everything on wheels in Disneyland, he said of Wood, he said he was clearly a con man and behaved like it. And so that's why you don't hear about C.V. Wood. C.V. Wood considering he's the VP of Disneyland and we don't ever hear about him because he pretty much was shaking down everybody on Main Street USA for more money under the table because he thought he deserved a raise, as well as trying to claim all of the, everything that happened for himself, all of the hard work of others he was trying to claim, including Walt Disney. What year did he leave? I think it was 1955. He was only there 22 months from the time he was hired. So he was pretty much there like just during Disney's development. And then he was out, out, like Audi like a trouty, as Kirk would say. So he was not there very long. Um, I don't, I'm not, I'd have to look into it. I don't think he ever got a window, but I'd have to look into it. I know Nat Weinkoff did and it was removed. And there's, there's another window that's on Main Street that I'm still looking into because it's changed, been changed twice. And it's, the names are very similar. It's Bob Batty and Seb Mori. They were both Disneyland employees and it like they both say taxidermist under them and it was changed from Bob to Seb and then back to Bob. I don't know what happened to Seb and I've been asking all of the like plaids and stuff in Disneyland like nobody knows. So Disney mystery I'm still figuring out. Freedom Land just screams America. Mm-hmm. It does. <laughs> I'll have to do a little bit more research about Freedom Land. It's not in my like Disney realm. It's kind of like along the fringes of it. So it's definitely what I'll do some research on. But it, it, yeah, it only lasted four years. It did not, it did not take off like they had hoped. The Magic Mountain, I think, stuck around, right? And the Six Flags, of course, in Texas still is. So, so those are my um, scandalous slash shocking stories <laughs> about Disney. Um, for our Distorians Lounge this evening. This is my book, um, A Glimpse of the Magic, Finding Ourselves in the Disney Story. The self-confidence chapter, absolutely. We can definitely do that. I think that was one, let me find the right page for it here. Um, this one is available via my link um, in my bio. Um, you can get on Amazon. Um, Barnes and Noble, those for print and ebook, and then it's also Apple Books and Kobo and all the other places. Um, 
Let me find that one. Magic of Confidence is chapter 13. Turn in your books to page 66. <laughs> I am, you know what, Jackie? I'm working on the audiobook. Um, I've got my microphones all ready to go. So that's my goal is to try to get it done by February. So um, so let's do the magic of confidence. One time on a visit to Avengers Campus, I witnessed a kind of Disney magic I had never seen before. Now this is really saying something. I've held my babies with teary eyes during fireworks. I've been pixie dusted for once in a lifetime moments. And I've witnessed gentle stall snow falling on Main Street USA in Disneyland Paris at Christmas time. But this moment was one that will go down in the record books as one I will likely never have again, but would love to see as an everyday occurrence. You see, while I was casually taking some photos and observing President Loki in action, a young teenage girl stepped forward timidly and looked on the verge of tears. She hesitantly moved forward towards Loki and was clearly terrified and shaking from anxiety. It was at that moment that she looked around and suddenly blurted out, I have no self-confidence. For a moment, I thought I misheard. In a place known for expertly post-lifestyle influencers and polished perfection on every surface, surely there couldn't be someone this real, vulnerable, and raw pouring out their true feelings before a crowd of strangers and an arrogant Loki. It was honest. A friend of mine who doesn't get Disney remarked recently that everything is so fake and manufactured in Disney, and that's why it doesn't feel genuine. I thought about that for a while, about how we embrace something so fully that is in fact absolutely manicured to perfection. Of course, that is why some of us love Disney in itself, that it's, it, that it's a controlled world to escape the uncontrollable world. But that's, it's not, but it's not the polished services that seemingly ever flowering landscaping or the idyllic views that keep us coming back. It's moment like, moments like the one with that anxious young woman. Not because of what she said, though it was brave to do so. No, it was what came next. Our little semicircle of adoring Loki fans, one by one, started shouting out, You got this! You're beautiful! You're amazing! And everyone started clapping and cheering. And you could see it. Her shoulders rolled back. She lifted her head, and she gave us a shaky smile, and her confidence, mm -hmm. it showed up. She stepped up to Loki and proudly took a photo, and all of us, complete strangers, cheered her on all the while. This, my Disney friends, is why we love Disney. It's a family, a group of people who know what it means to look up to a favorite superhero or princess with awe and want to be like them, to pull their character onto our own skin for a few moments a day and decide to carry their confidence as our own. If I can be honest with you for all a moment, hold on, let me read that again. If I can be honest with you all for a moment, my confidence has taken a hit or time or two in the past few, few years. Social media feels like a never-ending time suck with everyone shouting, notice me, into the abyss. And while there are many positives about the community we can find online, there's unfortunately also the endless comparison trap of holding what you do know about yourself up to what you don't know about others. And in that, you always lose. You will never see everyone else's flaws but you know all of your own. So while you're busy admiring their flaws, wait, so while you're busy admiring their best, you don't see the struggle behind the screen. You don't know that underneath it all, they're insecure, feeling lonely, or thinking they're a failure. All you see is happy put together individual who you think is succeeding at everything they do while you're just trying to muddle through. I have fallen into that trap hard realizing that there will always be someone with better photos, videos, writing, knowledge, clothes, you name it. It makes me want to shout out, I have no self-confidence and quit altogether. With all the cacophony of everyone chasing their dreams at once, it's easy to start believing that their dreams are better dreams and yours aren't worth pursuing. 
But then I remember Walt. He had a dream, an idea. And when he compared it to everything else out there, it didn't fit either. Many people told him that amusement parks were stupid waste of resources. Others refused to help finance it. It would have been so easy to lose confidence and surrender. He didn't. And you shouldn't either. While reading the Disneyland story by Sam Genoway, I came across this passage that so clearly illustrated Walt's confidence. The interior of Rainbow Caverns was pitch black. The only illumination came from carefully hidden black lights reflecting upon fluorescent materials. The room was filled with different colorful waterfalls and rivers. Claude Coates had come up with many special effects that had never been successfully tried before. He was working on the grand finale called Rainbow Falls, where he wanted all six primary colors falling side by side in one big, great big waterfall. He thought he could make the water flow in separate troughs when it hit the bottom. He wanted to have them as close together as he could. Working at the studio at the time as consultants in the man in space segments of the Disneyland TV show were mathematician Heinz Haber and German rocket scientist Werner, Werner von Braun, who made the V2 rocket the Moonliner. Haber took one look at Coates' waterfall and said it was statistically impossible. No matter how hard Coates could try, the splashing between the waterfalls would make the water gray within a week. Coates told Walt what the mathematician said, and the boss simply replied, well, it's fun to do the impossible, and then he left. Even when all the evidence was stacked against him, Walt still had confidence that the impossible was possible with enough hard work and ingenuity. And with a world that keeps telling us that we're insignificant and never enough, we have to choose to tune them out and listen to the voices of our Disney friends as they call out to us. I can go the distance. I'm almost there. The very things that held you down are going to lift you up. It'll turn out all right in the end, you'll see. It's not what's outside, but what's inside that counts. Just keep swimming. Everything is possible, even the impossible. The stories and characters that we encounter with wide-eyed wonder in the parks are only significant because they're a reflection of what we want to see in ourselves. They give us confidence through their story that ours might have a happily ever after too, even through adversity. And as we embrace our own confidence, we too, so too, do we give each other confidence. We get the chance to circle around each other and shout words of encouragement when we notice someone who needs a little extra faith, trust, and pixie dust. We get to be that person who lifts another up, even in small ways, every day. I don't know what happened to that dear girl after the encounter with Loki, but there is no doubt in my mind that she will remember the time that 50 plus strangers told her that she was worthy and had value just for being herself. Whether you're strolling through Avengers Campus or your neighborhood street, hold your head up high, knowing that confidence built a kingdom of magic and inspiration for all the world, and yours is capable of doing the same. So that's just a little passage from A Glimpse of the Magic. Thank you, Cassie, for recommending that chapter. <laughs> I hadn't read that once in a while. Thank you, Jackie. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening, reading that one. Um, I'm, I'm still, it's still a little bit surreal to me that I wrote a book. <laughs> and I feel like, you know, that the confidence one is such a good chapter for me to read again, um, because I do, you get so sucked down into comparisons of yourself versus others. That is such an easy thing to do. I think, I feel like we all do that to some extent. And especially on social media, gosh, it's so easy to be like, well, that person's doing this. And there's, if I can be really real with you guys right now, um, the Disney 100 stuff, like, I, it just bothers me that everybody has the same content. I That bugs me. But it's also like, there's also this, I hate what it does to this community where we see, we watch these like few people get like media passes and these people who don't and are sad that they didn't get media passes. And then there's like this whole discussion about, plus ones and all this stuff out here. And I was just like, wow, like this stuff is so polarizing. When all this stuff happens, when something new comes out, it becomes something that could unite our community, but ends up polarizing a lot of it. People who feel left out, people who feel like they're less than, and I hate that. So I, 
while I'm excited for Disney 100, I'm excited for all the new merch and all the new stuff that's coming out. I really don't like what it does in the, to the community at large. Um, so I'm appreciative of our community that doesn't do participate in that. I really appreciate that. So, oh, thank you guys. I'm just seeing all these comments now. Thank you. I'm writing is my passion and it's really what I'm supposed to do. I know that I've known that for since I was young, I had like a I was in high school, I think I wrote like one of those state exams and turned out that like my French teacher happened to be like the the person who was grading it. And she wasn't supposed to contact me like at all, but she did. And she was like, you have to write like you have to share this gift with the world. And I kind of like brushed it off. And for years, I'm like, I kind of wrote in small capacity, but never a lot. And I finally decided I'm like, no, I'm really supposed to do this. <laughs> this is what I'm supposed to do. So yeah, comparison is the thief of joy, 100%. I agreed. Yeah, I'm really grateful for this community. I was like, I'm going to do something be really easy for me to just kind of like ignore everything going on in the world today. I was like, let's do Distorian's Lounge. Like when Kirk was like, I have family in town. I can't do Distory till next week. I was like, that's great. We'll do Jungle Cruise. We're starting Jungle Cruise next week. Spilling a secret there. We're going to start a Jungle Cruise series next week on Distory. But I was like, let's let's do a Distorian's Lounge so I can hang out with my friends and remember why it is that I do all of this because it has nothing to do with this competition craziness. It has nothing to do with what's newest that's out there. It's everything to do with people. It's you guys. So, yeah. Jackie, I agree. I was meant to leave my former job behind. It was, it was time. It was a hard, painful way of losing my job, but, but it, it needed to happen. Feels like a coffee house job. I know. I feel like I'm sitting with friends and chatting. Uh, thank you, Melinda. Yeah, Jungle Cruise is going to be um, pretty lovely. Thanks, you, Lulu B, for the follow. Um, so, yeah, Jungle Cruise is going to be great. I was asking Kirk, I'm like, why don't we just do, we start, because there's so much concept art for it. We're going to start with, like, where the idea for the Jungle Cruise originated from and then move from there, move through the ride like we did the Haunted Mansion and just do kind of, like, scene by scene and uh, talk about all the all the different scenes with all the concept art and all the changes over the years. It's going to be, I have scripts from 1976 from the Jungle Cruise uh, skippers. So it's going to be a wild, wonderful journey. <laughs> and then of course we had Kevin Lively, the imagine, former Imagineer Kevin Lively was on um, Kirk's Live the other day when we were in the parks and telling us all the wonderful secrets of the queue that he helped design there in Disney World. So we have all kinds of information about that and the books in the Skipper Canteen and where all those titles came from. It's gonna be a wonderful series on Distory. So, and the African Queen. Oh, I know, I rewatched that with my mother the other day, um, kind of a movie night. And I was like, this is exactly like the Jungle Cruise boats because it's that's where they got the design from. So have Kirk read the old script as announcer voice. Yes, Karen, that needs to happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It was really cool to have Kevin in the chat. It was such a neat thing for him to hang out with us. Kirk wants to be a skipper. Yes, we should make that happen for Distory. And then I told him we have like, that we're gonna have to do some uh, Disney bounding uh, skippers the next time in, I'm in Disney World. That is Distorian's Lounge for this evening. I'm really, really happy that I got to hang out with all of you tonight. This was really wonderful and lovely for me to just take a breather and share some scandalous Disney stories about little towels. <laughs> um, and also to get to share a little bit of my book um, with you guys, that was really special. And I am almost done writing my next one. Um, it will have to go to editing and I'll probably take a little bit to get it edited because it's longer than this, this one. And the book I am currently writing, it just only has a working title, so I don't have a title for you yet. But it is, uh, it is a romantic suspense, so it's fiction, but it's inspired by Disney live streamers in the Disney parks. Um, and it includes, might have two Disney people who really love Disney history who might fall in love. But there's also a twist to it because she has a secret that could ruin him. So that's coming. <laughs> Um, if you like to read such things. Yeah. Oh, Julie, you just got my book. Oh, good. I hope you enjoy it. Yeah. I like, I kind of like tea too. So there might be some tea in there. It'll be great. But it was inspired by my life as a live streamer, but not inspired by any particular person. So 
when you guys eventually read it, just keep in mind, it's not any particular people. Um, Mike Eisner's son. <laughs> no, Mike Eisner doesn't get to go anywhere near my books. Just saying. <laughs> anyway, I really appreciate you guys. Thank you for hanging out with me. Um, and I will see you when I see you next for sure from Mom Street next week. And then we'll start our new series this Friday night at 530 Pacific or 830 Eastern. We're going to do Distory. We're going to start a series on the Jungle Cruise. And if you remember, our series on the Haunted Mansion was like 16 episodes. So if you missed any of that, it's on YouTube or our podcast or Distory with Kate and Kirk podcast. The link is in my bio for that. So yes, you guys are so welcome. This was really wonderful to hang out with y'all. So I am going to go see what all of my kiddos need. <laughs> and I hope you have a wonderful night. Goodbye, everybody. We'll see ya.